makes your world very small. My world has been this room. Today I venture forth. instances of physical abuse? Yes. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, our weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode. It's been so long since I've said that. (laughs) Um, It's so good to be back. I'm Fiona Williams and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS and I'm joined by my colleagues and fellow resistors, Natalie Hambly. Hi. Sana Kadar. Hi. And Haiti Island. Hi. Hello. It has been so long. What? Almost two years. It's ridiculous. So long. (laughs) Yeah. The last time we were all together, we were with 500 of our closest uh, friends and handmade tragics. Um, Now we're in a Zoom room. (laughs) What's the world like? (laughs) What have we been up to? It has been a long time. Let's do a quick catch up. Natalie, let's start with you. Um, Look, Work-wise, in the last year, I feel like we've all just been surviving. Um, That said, managed to do quite a lot somehow, and SBS Life is now SBS Voices, and last year we launched a writing competition, which was amazing. Um, But on a more personal level, during lockdown last year, I had the most freaky handmaid's moment, Uh uh, which was there was a time when only two people were allowed to go to the shops, and I remember opening up my front door and looking on the the street, and it was a Sunday, and it was just people in pairs walking up up to the shops, and I was like, this is very freakily handmaid's. (laughs) Yeah, you're not wrong there. And masks, uh, yeah, made quite an appearance. What a time Mm. for masks, hey? (laughs) I did, did think of the, the Washington mask that sort of, I think a version of it got plugged to me on Instagram. <laughs> like, that was, what a time. Um, Haiti, what have you got to report? Oh, gee, um, summing up two years in um, a sentence, that's that's a, a big one when you're talking about 2020. Look, last time we recorded, I, I, I was nursing a newborn baby in the, in the studio and um, as we're recording today, she's turning two. So I feel like a lot of time, of time has passed and I'm very glad to be back in a virtual room with you all. <laughs> yes. And Sana, what have you got to report? Uh, it's been a pretty eventful two years for me, I have to say. I had a baby, which was <laughs> amazing. Um, I spent, I think, most of the pandemic pregnant and then with the baby. So that's been taking up a lot of my time. He's nine months now, which is really cute age. But sadly, none of my family in Toronto has gotten to meet him because they're obviously all stuck in Toronto and we're over here on this side of the world. Um, Yeah, that's one baby that hasn't gotten to Canada. Yeah, we'll we'll get him on a plane to Canada soon, hopefully, and he can meet all of June's little buddies. Um, (laughs) But the other bit of news is I got a new job. I've got my own show at the ABC. Um, I'm hosting a show called All in the Mind on Radio National. So it's been a really eventful couple of years. Fantastic. Yeah. What a time. It's so good to see you all. But we're back. The show is back and we have got a lot to recap. (laughs) Um, So we have just watched two episodes of The Handmaid's Tale. So it's come back with three. We're going to recap episodes one and two of season four of The Handmaid's Tale today. So if you haven't watched both of them, I suggest you go and do that because otherwise we're going to spoil episode two real bad (laughs) for you. But um, so we're recapping one and two. And the third episode is also available. So we will drop that as a bonus episode. It's just that in Australia, only two episodes are going to air on television. So we can't do all three in one episode. Does that make sense? I don't know. It makes sense to us. (laughs) (laughs) So let's do it. Um, So episode one of season four of The Handmaid's Tale is called Pigs. And this one was written by Bruce Miller. So on the run after the end of season three, an injured June and the fugitive handmaids find refuge at a farm where the 14-year-old wife... I'm the mistress of this house. ...nurses June back to health. Holy crap, it lives. June restores her role as the women's leader. Meanwhile in Gilead, an imprisoned Lawrence tries to avoid a death sentence and Aunt Lydia reels from the loss of 86 children on the Angel's flight. Find her. And bring her to me. And meanwhile, the combative Waterfords in custody in Toronto learn of June's fate. This will start a war. We are back into it. Um, I do love that, you know, it's been almost two years and 
there's so much water under the bridge, there's a global pandemic, there's a new American president. Um, but Handmaid's takes us right back to those immediate moments after the season three finale. And we just, it's like no time has passed at all. <laughs> um, so June's lying there with a bullet in the guts um, with Janine and Alma and all of her trusty handmaids uh, reviving her in a very bloody surgery situation. <laughs> mm. Um Immediate thoughts as episode one's playing out, what stood out for you guys? From the whole of episode one, not just the beginning. <laughs> like Those um, beginning moments, I thought it was a really clever way of, I guess, showing torture because I think torture has been really sort of criticised and I think that we, I think a lot's happened in the world, as you just said, Fiona, and I don't really think we want to see men torturing women and it's, in, it's sort of incredibly painful to watch yet also you could argue in some ways necessary. But by showing June in pain and the way that they have had to relieve her of possible infection. It was so brutal and I think it shows the brutality of the life they're living without actually having to see the sort of torture that we've seen in the past. So I kind of appreciated that. Yeah, yeah I thought that too. I thought um, it was a good reminder of, you know, where she's been, but also how far she's come because this bit of torture is in service of saving her life and it's from her girlfriend. So things are, you know, while they're painful still, they're looking up. I thought this first episode opening felt really different to previous seasons. Um, it was a lot less intense, save for those opening moments where she's getting her wound tended to. It was not nearly as hard to watch or violent or torturous as some of the previous seasons have opened. And I think that was very intentional on the part of the, of the production and the writers because there were a lot of criticisms last season that it was just getting too hard and people were tapping out. And so I think this is a little bit of a response to that, We're kind of easing into the season a little more gently. It's funny because, like, you know, because we really love the show, right? Um, but even when I was starting up episode one, I was a little bit, it was like late at night and I was at home and I was thinking, oh, what am I actually about to start watching? You know, there's that sort of feeling of like, what's going to happen? And, you know, um, and it ended up being a great watch, but also not a traumatic watch either, which I was very, very grateful for mm. because mm. I think we've all been through a lot, you know, <laughs> we're tired. <laughs> We are. Um, I, I didn't really think it was that easy an intro into it with all the blood and the, the like we're really in June's body. And I think um, for me it reminded me of the season two opener where she had to cut the tag out of her ear mm. and it was really visceral. I feel like mm. we're, I feel like this one's really in the body this season. And even that speech she says later about her body, she can't control it as much as she used to or it doesn't respond in the way it used to. Yeah, I feel like last season for me we were in her head and like it was the psychology of trying to figure out the rest of Gilead that she'd never seen in all those years cooped up in, in the Waterford house. But, yeah, we're in her head now. I think we're, we're in the body and we're going to be fighting by all accounts, <laughs> certainly for <laughs> all indications are in this first episode, my Lord. Um, and we even get an on-screen vomit. I do love an on-screen vomit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when a character um, has to purge something and we get one from mm. June, so <laughs> I don't like looking at it, but when, when they do it, it's always quite fun. Um, <laughs> I, I love the scene where they're rocketing across the landscape, like in that Jeep thing hidden in it. it. Reminded me of A Quiet Place when June has to, you know, tell them to shut up when, mm. the, when the cards get on board. I just love the visuals and the audio of that, of that scene. So we open with that and then next scene we're in Canada with Fred and Serena getting the news that 86 kids got out uh, on the Angels flight is what they're calling it. Um, Serena... Her hair doesn't look all that great. She's she's not having the best time cooped up in uh, in Canada. That's one indication there. Yeah, what do we think of Fred and Serena finding out it was their handmaid who got the kids out? What's what do you make of Serena's expression there at the end? I just like I really miss Fred and Serena because they're so awful, but also so great at the same time. And there's they always provide them a line which just makes you furious, you know, and you know that you're being baited to feel that fury, but also it's great. Yeah, um, yeah. So, like, Serena's line when she found out about the kids arriving in Canada was, those poor families, and you're just like, it just makes you so angry, um, <laughs> which I think is perfectly designed and it worked and I enjoyed it. Yeah. Toello was good there. He he <laughs> he let her have it. They are home, lady. I love the way Toello broke the news by uh, you know saying that uh, six Marthas got out and then kind of casually following it up with oh and uh, and eighty six children. <laughs> Great comic timing. I'm sorry. Did you say eighty six children? Yes. I kind of really love 
watching Fred and Serena now. I feel like, I don't know if this is a new development. I don't remember loving them, you know, watching them that much in previous seasons. But now I really do because we're sort of watching their disintegration and the way they're sort of coming at each other and this weird dance they're sort of doing. And it's actually just so enjoyable to watch them sort of slowly destroy each other. Um, so I, I quite liked seeing them again. Yeah, I do love that. Is it going to last though? I think it's so true because we always watched like um, June's mind games with both Serena and Fred when they were back in their house, back in the Waterford house. And so all those mind games were happening, but she was the one that was having that with Serena and having that with Fred. Mm. But now they're doing it to each other. Yeah. And you're right, Sina, it's just so fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> and I, there's this interesting dance around victimhood that they're sort of doing too. And I don't know if this is getting a bit ahead of myself, but basically in, in sort of episode one, Tuello is trying to get Serena to um, sort of portray herself as a victim so as to not have, you know, such heavy charges on her. And she doesn't want that. She wants, she's like, I'm not a victim. I, I have agency here. But then in episode two, Fred is, you know, Fred is accusing Serena and laying all the blame on her feet for what's happened and saying, I am as you made me. Mm. So there, there's this dance around victimhood and there's power in victimhood that, you know, Fred's seeing, there's loss of agency that Serena's seeing. So I find there's really interesting ground that the two of them are so of going to cover the season. Yeah, totally. Oh, well, and it's everywhere. I mean, it's with Mrs. Keys, the new wife, you know, victimhood there mm. in June even. Like it, it's mm. it's big. It's the whole apples basket. Is it Gilead doing it or is it is it their nature? It's so, yeah, I think that's going to be writ large across this season. Mm. And hello, Lydia. <laughs> Lydia, <laughs> chief yes. enforcer who... I don't know. A handmaid got 86 kids out on her watch. So uh, she's been interviewed in inverted commas and has a few bruises and such on her face as a result. She's up before the commander's having to, you know, <laughs> account for herself, quite frankly. Um, and Warren, old Warren is seems to be the one in charge now in the absence of everyone else. He makes the mistake of calling her frail and that immediately gets her back up. Um, she's very quick <laughs> to fact check him about, it's been 19 days, frankly, not two weeks. And he lights a fuse and she gets some, she gets quite fired up demanding, well, actually, she does call it very correctly on June that she's out there planning who knows what kind of atrocities to visit upon our righteous nation. To visit upon our righteous nation. Yeah, nailed it there, I think, Lydia, because... <laughs> I did find it surprising that she requested that they find her and bring her back to, to Lydia so that, you know, she can sleep better at night because if I was a commander, I would not be returning June to Lydia because everything <laughs> June has done... <laughs> <laughs> against Gilead, she's done under the watchful eye of Lydia. So she's not doing a very good job. I wouldn't be returning this handmaid well, to nor, this aunt. <laughs> nor are the commanders. And I think Lydia kind of like makes this little barb back at them. Like she's also planning these atrocities under your noses and you guys keep failing to catch her. So you're <laughs> just as like inept here. So yeah. she was actually my highlight this episode. I thought she was great and hilarious and I always love her performance. So I thought that was good that she sort of stuck it to them a little bit. Absolutely the same. And quite frankly, we've all read the Testaments. So Lydia, yes, <laughs> fascinating this season. Um, That's what I was going to say. I feel like the Lydia that we saw in episode one is the Lydia that we read in the Testaments. I, f I felt like I really saw that character this time. And, and I think that that scene that she had talking back to the commanders, it almost, because I was a bit surprised that she ended up like, not, like she was, she's actually fine, you know, like she's now going to go back and do her aunt. Lydia thing and I think it sort of shows what her power is they need her and it, I think it's sort of setting up the Lydia that we saw in the book which is which is actually their chief aunt really who is managing all the women you know like not just the handmaids but um also the other women that are in her watch who are all the other aunts and aunts in training yeah, and mm. I do think the shadow of Lydia looms large in the way June acts as well, which we'll get to how this episode uh, ends. But hundred yeah. percent, yeah. <laughs> um, and so back to June, back on the farm. She's making homemade penicillin. <laughs> yeah. Don't that try was that at interesting. Home. I didn't know that came from rotting fruit. That was a little factoid I learned. <laughs> I know little um, life hacks with <laughs> on, the, on the farm. Um, <laughs> But I, I think there was a line there written for all of us in, in a COVID world where pain, pain makes, makes your world, your world very, small, very small and my world has been this room. I think that was a little nod to everyone. I think we all probably weren't same <laughs> because, of course, the show had to suspend production. They only shot part of um, the early parts of the season and then had to suspend for eight months or so with like the rest of the world. But, yeah, they, they got there and finished the season safely and for that we are very grateful. <laughs> but then next scene, Nick. 
And I'm looking at you, Sana and Nat. Uh, Nick makes an appearance after being largely absent across season three. What is his story here? He's, he's a commander, but he's doing a lot of jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know that I'm a Nick tragic and I feel a little bit embarrassed by that, but he is very handsome and looks great in a coat and I also really appreciate that. <laughs> um, I'm glad they've brought that element back. It turns out I also needed that. Um, but ever since episode one of season one, really, he's always been that mystery, hasn't he? Like, is he good or evil? And um, they're still playing with that idea. So we're back in episode one of the new season and it's like he is a commander now and what power does he have and what is he really trying to achieve? And it's still a mystery and I think like Nick's always a mystery to us and I like that. Yeah, I think so. And in and last season, um, June challenged him. It was in the Washington episodes where they're all interviewed by the Swiss. Um, you know, we think it was his testimony really or his status anyway as a Gilead general commander that um, – put the mockers on the plan with the Swiss there because he's implicated in it all. But, yeah, she challenged him, like, you're a commander, you can get me out, you can get Hannah out, do something. So it looks like he's doing what he can. He saves Lawrence from um, from getting executed. I was wondering about that. Like, I, I'm still not sure. Sorry, was that episode one or episode two where um, Lawrence was in that chair and about to have a blade very close to his face? And I'm like, is he okay? <laughs> he's just getting a shave. <laughs> A full shave today, sir? You can trim my beard, but not too much. I'm enjoying the length. <laughs> He's good. Um, but Nick sees the benefit of him. It does come a little later in this episode that, um, yeah, he can play a role in, in the plotting with what's happening on the border, with Canada, with, you know, Gilead obviously wants to retaliate, as Lydia does when Warren challenges her. She immediately retaliates. Gilead wants to do the same about the plane load of kids. But Nick sees that Lawrence can play a bit more of a diplomatic role here and maybe maybe a bit a little smarter in the way that they respond. But anyway, it also saves Lawrence from, from being executed, so... So there's that. I'm hoping we get more Nick this season, more in terms of his character and his story. Like, he is a mystery. You're right, Natalie. I want to know more about what's going on in his head. What, what, what's his deal? I, I really want to get to know more of that and maybe more of his backstory. I'd take that too. And yes, I am a Nick tragic and I'm not embarrassed about it. So, <laughs> and I love that little, you know, moment of touch they had. You know, Nick came over to June and sort of like, you know, brushed his hand on her shoulder or whatever, just to be like, you know, I'm here. You're safe. It's okay. That was nice. All right, yeah, at the end of two. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. Um, well, it's true. I mean, he is a mystery and largely everything's projected on him because he hasn't done a lot. Yeah. That's not to say he won't and, <laughs> yeah. and he hasn't been behind the scenes. We just haven't seen a lot of it. But, um, yeah, look, clearly His Nick's heart's gonna be in the right this place. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I'm very keen to see Nick get some more character development yeah. in this season because, look, I'm going to say it. His character has been pretty thin on the ground to date. 100%. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's he's gaining power in Gilead. He's starting to pull some strings. You know, he's he's convinced the council to to bring Lawrence in as a consultant in this episode. Um, and did anyone notice in the in the season four trailer, there's um, there's a shot of Lawrence and Nick in a room together and, um, and Lawrence is saying to Nick, um, you can't save her. So I think that's suggesting that these two are going to be working much more closely together this season to do what they can to rescue June or stop Gilead going to war. So yeah. that's exciting. Yeah, totally. And, yeah, I saw that in the trailer. I watched that trailer <laughs> 65,000 times. <laughs> I think I did too. <laughs> Looking for clues. Well, one thing I'll throw in there about Nick is that he clearly has a lot of respect for the people around him. But the horrible thing is how do commanders get respect in Gilead? And it's not through nice things. Oh, man. So mm. um, considering the amount of power that he does seem to have, that, you know, the level of trust that the people around him have that he is operating on behalf of Gilead, it does make me wonder, what have you been up to? <laughs> that is such a good point. Oh, no, I don't want to entertain that thought, but that's interesting. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Well, I think because June has to go there as well, I think one of the points about Gilead in general is that it's just such a brutal place that it forces people to do things that they otherwise would never imagine ever, ever doing. And I think we also see that in this episode um, with <laughs> June, uh, which is an interesting development and Bruce totally went there. 
Absolutely. Yeah, no, they don't shy away from it. Um, and kind of the at the crux of it is this new wife who owns the farm, who is, you know, she's an owner. She's on the farm where June is hiding out with the handmaid. She's a baby. She's 14 years old. When uh, I saw her, I thought she should have been on the plane. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not not long off it. Um, but she's got this hero worship of June. It's it, like she's fangirling her almost. And in the haze of June still groggy from you know, clearly being near dead. But um, she's saying to her, he sent me dreams of you. We were killing people together. Like she's been dreaming of this hero, June Osborne coming. It's weird, but she's also literally a child and she's enthusiastic because she, <laughs> as we find out, has her own kind of trauma going on there at the farm with her very old husband. You know, she discloses that she's been abused too. And that supposed reverence for wives that, that goes on in Gilead is of course a facade and there's misogyny and hypocrisy and she's been raped by other commanders and um, guardians and, yeah, so she wants revenge and that's kind of the linchpin for for. So June. her name is Esther, is that is that right? Yeah. 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 I had, like, so many thoughts on her. Like, I really I really am enjoying this character. I, you can understand, considering all the trauma that she's gone through, you can see why she would see someone as June as a hero. It yeah. totally makes sense. But... um. The only other like young wife we've met is Eden, really, who was yeah. so young and sweet and innocent and just really believed in Gilead and, and wanted to be the best wife she could possibly be. So I like that we're seeing a very different personality come out. But I have to – it's also like – I think it's like one of my favourite character types, which is that sort of like murderous, powerful young girl, you know, like um, – <laughs> There was a, there is a scene later in the episode which reminded me of let let the right one in you know that oh, vampire yeah. mm. <laughs> that vampire movie also like in Game of Thrones had like lots of young powerful girls had like Arya Stark and it had Lyanna Mormont who was like a ten year old house leader so I like playing on these girls where we just assume that they're stupid or silly or innocent or don't understand things and she was really sort of flexing herself in these um, opening two episodes and um, it's kind of a nice twist on what we've seen of like um, say like Eden before. Yeah, yeah, it had shades of Eden for me as well. It's a good shout. Yeah, as is the Let the Right One In reference at the end there where she's blood-soaked mm. at the doorway. Yeah. Oof. The show has also shied away from from looking at this kind of sexual abuse of Gilead outside of The Handmaids. But uh, the Testaments really, really kind of delved into that aspect of Gilead. So it's nice to see that being explored in the TV show now after kind of being um, addressed in the book. Yeah. And it's a real reminder that, like, nobody wins that like you can be you can be eaten and and really and really believe in it and um and try to be the best wife you can be and you still lose here's like an innocent girl who gets married off and look at how she's been treated you know like it's sort of like it doesn't matter whether you're naughty or nice mm. um it's just gilead is just not a place for um girls or women or, or women in general i should say yeah one thing i spent a lot of this episode confused about or wondering about it was sort of June and her sort of the relationship between her and June the, the young wife because I'm like there's such intimacy here and sort of trust in a way like have we met this young wife before has June met her before what's going on have I forgotten something from previous seasons I ended up looking no. up the actress on IMDb to say see if she had been on Handmaids before yeah because because they're so close and I'm like I, I don't understand how this has evolved or what's quite going on here she's cuddling her by the end yeah yeah I, I think it just shows like she she doesn't have a mother anymore. She's a mm. child <laughs> and June doesn't have a daughter. It's like it's a maternal kind of um, – yeah. well, she calls her Banana. That's her pet name for Hannah as yeah. well. Um, yeah, I think it's a shared experience. Like they both yeah. know what the other's going through. I think that's where the intimacy kind of originates from. And the fact that June encourages her to to take it out on the, the guardian that they kill. Yeah, yeah like, she, you know, she idolises this woman and then this woman is reaffirming everything she's feeling. So she's, yeah, validating the – the feelings, I guess. So yeah, they just immediately click. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> they click, but also it was like June was there to recover, yeah. but because young Esther is just so off the rails, um, June didn't really get to recover. She yeah. had to step in to manage her, and and I think that everything she's done, even though they seem to have bonded by the end, I think that 
June was forced to step up and and be in that sort of role where she really had to work on her personality, work on Esther's personality, and had to also um, make a play for dominance as well, yeah. which I think is is where that is where that killing scene comes in. Mm. Um, because of Esther's personality, June really had to step up, and there was there was a lot of personality management happening, which is what June did so well with Lawrence in the previous season. Yeah. Um, and here she is, first episode, having to having to use those skills all all, all over again in very interesting ways. <laughs> also, because Alma wasn't quite doing her job. Yeah, yeah, it's true. She yeah has to muster all the labor for everyone. But um, the the way does that momentary power play between um, June and Esther when you know, June references her age and says, you're so young, you shouldn't be going through this. And that gets Esther's backup um, mm. in the same way Lydia got a backup when um, Warren called her frail. Yeah, it's this immediate, well, actually, and she pulls rank. Um, so that's when June realises, okay, that's the limit. So, yeah, you're right. She has to <laughs> think of a way in. Um, I thought that I thought ooh. that changed quite quickly, though, when Esther discloses her yeah. abuse. Yeah, of course. And then June switches from that kind of, uh, you know, personality management mode straight into a very reactive getting the fire lit inside her and getting back into um, revolutionary June mode and and goes into action from there and I think their relationship takes a turn at that point Mm, Um, and she's no longer you know managing a a 14 year old she's reacting to another story of abuse in Gilead. Mm. Because I think how old would Hannah be now? Would Hannah be about Esther's age? So I think there's probably once she sort of heard that abuse and she, I think she could probably see that this is, if not possibly Hannah's situation right now, it's probably in her very in her very near future. Yeah, Hannah's not quite old enough yet because she's still in the baby pink, so she's pre-pubescent. But, um, yeah, that's the thing, like time shrinks in this because, <laughs> like I say, it's been two years but it's still just yesterday for what we saw, so I, my timelines are out. <laughs> <laughs> there is a shot of Hannah in the trailer not wearing her baby pink. She's wearing, you know, creams or, or whites or something, mm. so... There is this looming kind of coming of age for Hannah yeah. in the well too distant spotted. future. Ooh, um, yeah, and on on the actress who plays Esther, I also looked her up because I, I for a second I thought it was Kiernan Shipka from Mad mm, Men. Same, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth Moss's um, you know former castmate, but no, it's McKenna Grace is is who plays her very well. Yeah, you mentioned Alma Sana, and Alma expresses the view that maybe this is as good as it gets. Yeah. She's kind of like had it <laughs> thinking yeah. well like maybe it's not going to get better or maybe we should just you know stay on the farm then of course that recalls the earlier monologue that june did about my, my world, world can't, can't be small, small. Um, not now because the others not need now. me to protect them because the others need me to protect them notice she flinches like out of the pain quite often and that's kind of when something happens like her body's reminding her of the scars and then she bolts into action like when they catch that guardian june or alma are you talking about now well, Alma says maybe this is as good as it gets, yes. but June doesn't care for that right. sentiment. Um, right. Yeah, and it just it references that earlier conversation, the earlier monologue June had about my world can't be small, so she just can't right, connect right. with what Alma's saying. Yeah, I've always liked Alma sort of mm. in this under-the-radar kind of way. I've always liked that she's had a bit of like a sarcastic kind of dry wit to her. I'm really yeah. into her and I've, I always like seeing her when she's got, you know, a few more lines and all the rest. So I, I enjoyed her in this episode. Yeah, no, she's cool. This is a bit of a... A side, a side note, but um, what I find kind of disturbing is how much I really liked their life. I was yeah. like, I feel like it, I feel like we've our worlds have narrowed, and we're all about everyone's. Everyone wants to escape to the countryside, and I'm um, like, this looks like a really nice farmhouse, and look at look at those lovely organic vegetables I they're growing, too. you know. <laughs> and I really liked the uh, simple approach to you know food as well, you know, the um, killing of the pig and being very grateful for it. And I just thought, oh gosh, it's almost it almost feels like is where we're going as like a society. Um, and I just thought I really shouldn't be looking at um, Gilead for a sort of, you know, interior decorating tips. <laughs> there, are, there are countless Instagram influencers out there trying to, um, you know, recreate exactly that kind of lifestyle. <laughs> mm, That's so true. Yeah, I thought I thought the kitchen was beautiful and all the hanging, you know, sort of drying leaves, which we later find out are poison, you know, um, that was all stunning. But actually, I also noticed June's room at the farmhouse reminded me quite a bit of her room at the Waterford place. Yeah. yeah. It's very, very similar. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a household that doesn't have a handmaid. Yeah. I guess it's built for if and when there ever would need to be one. Yeah. And you mentioned the pig. I mean, of course, Janine bonds with the pig, calls it Mr. Darcy. 
Um, oh, Janine. <laughs> gosh. <laughs> Poor um, the actress Madeleine Brewster. Um, her role is really just to get beaten on every single episode. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, we shouldn't enjoy it as much as we do, but poor Janine. I'm kind no. of bored of her getting beaten on every time. I'm kind of bored of that sort of one-track character line with her. I want to see something else happen with her. I, you know, like it's kind of obvious and expected now to, to me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, well, if you've watched the trailer... Yeah, watch the watch the trailer, Sana. I'm She's forgetting definitely the trailer, like clearly. escaping to Canada with June okay, in a couple of episodes. Ah. There's there's a shot of them there's a shot of them both like in civilian clothes running through some kind of urban environment. Right, okay, you know, yeah. Potentially I have not on the it. on the on their way to the border. I haven't mm. watched it sixty eight thousand times like you, Fiona, so I will <laughs> do that a few more times. <laughs> yeah. Obviously the pigs of the title isn't the uh the pigs of the farmhouse, but the uh the men involved in uh, Mrs. Keys, yeah, yeah, totally, and and that's where they head to the slaughterhouse. Um, and uh, Guardian Pogue, I think it's his name. Um, and yeah. June goes full Lydia. She starts the speech mm. like what uh, Lydia uses on her girls, and June even calls them her girls. Uh, in Good Girl, Make Me Proud, she tells um, Esther. And I did go back. I checked the script of. Season one, episode one, and when they have the salvaging and this the the man who raped a handmaid. Right. You know, the words are changed, obviously, for circumstance, but it, it echoes that speech very similarly. And, yeah, it's not your fault. She's absolving them of any guilt of having to kill this bastard. So, um, yeah, it's she's going full Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> she really is. Like, I think that was my highlight of the episode was that line, make me proud. <laughs> and... Um, my notes were, oh, my God, she's batshit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. Yeah. And, yeah, and she is Lydia's pro- – pro- oh, sorry, I can't say the word. She's Lydia's protege. Like, she, like you know, Lydia is clearly very frustrated and annoyed by June, but um, but also I think she could also be very, very proud of her. Look at how much June has learned. Totally. She was taking notes. She is as she made her. <laughs> she paid attention at the Rachel and Leah Centre. Um, and, yeah, and then so there, it ends on that with, with Esther coming lying down with June drenched in that man's blood. And the episode ends with Carol King singing uh, Natural Woman, um, where it started with Aretha Franklin singing um, Say a Little Prayer. So that's a nice little same but different um, kind of ending <laughs> to that episode. So that's a big one. Uh, Do you want to dive straight into episode two? Yeah. Yeah. So episode two of season four of The Handmaid's Tale is called Nightshade, and this one was written by Kira Snyder. June plots revenge at the local Jezebel's. June, this is a terrible idea. Before she and The Handmaid's plan to leave the farm for the next safe house. Take me with you. In Toronto, Moira deals with the fallout of June's choices. I guess June didn't think of that part through. That's what she does takes the big swing and fuck the consequences. And Serena and Fred are bound together by a miracle. The results from your blood test came back. Congratulations. I love that for them. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, a shocker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, look, it, it opens on the Guardian. There is a Guardian, a singular car, coming looking for the AWOL Pogue, who we saw get ripped to shreds at the end of episode one. Handmaids, of course, are freaking out, none more so than Janine, but June is being June and telling them to stay calm because they wouldn't just send one car if they were going to round them all up. Meanwhile, Mrs. Keys is busy making tea for her husband to calm him down, which we find out later what's in it. And then there's whole this speculation about is Mayday coming? Can Mayday help them? And I, I like this thought about what is Mayday because it's sort of been this mythical group, almost in their heads probably like like what the commanders in their circle of power, that big room, as if that's Mayday kind of plotting all these, um, like they've got a big spider wall of all the actions. But in the end of season three, the finale there, remember that Martha says to June, is this Mayday? And June sort of shrugs and goes, well, yeah, because <laughs> it, it, like Mayday is all of them. And I think she says that in this episode, just this, you know, you can't wait to get saved. It isn't an army. We are Mayday. She says a, a line that her mother said to her saying, we're the ones we've been waiting for. And I thought that was a really nice way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, speaking from an Australian context, I think we've really hit a really nice note for me or something that I recognise because I think we've really seen that in the Australian headlines in, in the last few months and, you know, and names like Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins. And it's just like um, they are the ones they've been waiting for, you know, um, young women mm. who um, who have had awful things happen to them and have stepped up to make a change. Yeah, absolutely. 
Good, good call, Nat. And June gets word that there's a contact of Mayday who wants to reach out and she says, well, why can't they come here? And the, the cool guardian, as he was described um, in episode one, he says, you can leave, she can't, which is an interesting twist. Like That just reminds her, of course, that there are people worse off and those women are at Jezebel's as sex slaves. And of course, there's a country Jezebel's, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it seems obvious now. <laughs> yeah. um. Yep. Uh, yeah, that little fantasy house. And she also finds out that due to her stunt with Winslow, that Jezebel's in Boston got cleaned out. And um, yeah, that was, that was um, a revelation. And this woman, Daisy, she was there. So that's how she knows about Winslow. So that's a little intel about what's happened in, in the wake of June. So Daisy has a safe house for June and the girls. That's their next point they can go to. But June being June doesn't go to that then she wants to raise hell which Moira alludes to later like she sees an opportunity to <laughs> to flip out um so plots this big big hit on the country Jezebels. I really liked how June pretty much was taken on a tour of that entire house <laughs> it wasn't like she got hidden and had to go through the bushes and no one actually saw her she was actually almost paraded all the way through but she's invisible like it was yeah. just like another Handmaids are not, you know, because they're in that um, bright red, but but anyone who isn't the rest are just the women in Gilead are just invisible. Yeah. I love the exchange June has with uh, Mr. Keys where he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I've forgotten your name, what was it? And she just says, oh, it's it's Martha. And he's like, oh, okay, Martha. <laughs> I think it doesn't even click with him that they're all called Martha. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's not right in the head thanks to that cup of tea, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a weird thing. Yeah, and with June not wanting to go to the safe house and wanting to raise hell, because she, she feels indebted to this woman, obviously, because she can't. No one, no one's going to save the women of Jezebel's. So June opts to, which I think is a nice flip with the Rita story. You know, no one was going to save the Marthas either. And then we do see Rita in her civilian outfits with a handbag that she looks a bit uncomfortable. Yes, <laughs> yeah. like she doesn't oh, look quite. Rita, Rita was my highlight in this episode. Yeah. Oh my goodness, she was fantastic. <laughs> but what was with that handbag? I was so confused the way she was clutching it and, you know, it was such a like main feature of the first scene she appeared in yeah. um, that I really found that odd and that stood out to me. Yeah, well, I just think she's not used to the outfits. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, a right. weird accessory. <laughs> and just, just like the, the idea that you could have personal possessions, um, you know, like there's a, there's a probably an identity card in there and some mm. money and, you know, a credit card, you know, all these things that she couldn't have in, in Gilead. That's how I read that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And she's doing appearances. She's with Luke and Moira doing fundraising for this army of children that got out. And she's showing her debt of gratitude to June, she has the line, Gilead has a way of bringing out the worst in people. But in June, it brought out the best. But in June, it brought out the best and she breaks down. And I think in this episode, for sure, across the season, of course, but um, it does look at what Gilead does. It's the whole apple basket thing again of someone just like this. Is it going to bring out some innate characteristics in people? And will that be for the good or for bad? That's interesting because June actually says at some point in this episode, Gilead makes it really hard to be good. Yep. So, you know, Rita's saying that it brought out the best in her, but June knows, you know, there's obviously clearly aspects of things she's done that she's not proud of. So, yeah, that's that's interesting how it changes them. Yeah. I think that sort of spoke to the, the kind of myth-making that's happening around June in Canada at the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's gotten out that she's being the one to organise the the angels' flight, as it's now getting referred to. And, uh, yeah, she's kind of becoming quite notorious. So, yeah, there's a lot of myth-building happening there. Yeah. doesn't necessarily re reflect the truth. No, and in Gilead it's happening too. I mean, you know, Daisy knew of everything and, and of course, the way Esther reacted with the hero worship of her. Yeah, she's – Yeah. But, uh, I don't know, June's wearing it. Like, she, I think she's <laughs> got a little bit of a God complex at times here. But, um, yeah, it's <laughs> – it's interesting where this one's going. Um, but also we learned some intel from Daisy that um, in response to all this and in response to June's actions, like there's there's a whole lot of things happening, these explosions at checkpoints now and just lots of insurgent activity happening. Mm. Um, you know, Mayday is everywhere. And on the idea of Serena, she gets an examination here and it, it's all part of a plan to maybe get her off the charges that uh, old mate Fred has got her up on, you know, essentially saying 
all of the abuse that she endured. But she's finding it hard to explain how <laughs> how Gilead works, and you know it's complicated. It wasn't really abuse, um, which which we touched on before. But yeah, there's there's certainly culpability there for Serena, and I, I, I'm interested in the way that this flips with the Esther storyline. You know, we see. Esther's tearful disclosures about about the abuse she's endured, mm. but with Serena we are far more hmm. <laughs> like Serena's far more of a villain because we did see her encourage the rape of June, of course. It's really complex for yeah. Serena, isn't it? Like, which is sort of touches on what you said earlier, Sana. Um, she was really sort of grappling with a lot in that scene. Yeah. Uh, which was one was victimhood. She doesn't want to be a victim, but she's also savvy enough to know that being a victim can work. Yep. And so she's sort of grappling with that. Um, she also still believes in Gilead and in their religion and she doesn't, and she knows how it's perceived. So therefore she doesn't want to say anything bad about it that would feed into negative perceptions. And so she's grappling with that as well. And then also just having to, as we know, she's a great survivor, is finding her way through to what is the winning strategy for her. So, But, like, I could see that she was grappling with a lot in that scene, which I quite enjoyed. But it also had one of my had one of my favourite lines, which was when she did end up disclosing that Fred had also beaten her. And you could see her hesitate to say that. The woman who was conducting the, um, I don't want to say inspection, um, what is the right word Examination. for that? Yeah, yeah, examination. Um, she said, it looks like it didn't leave a permanent mark. And then you saw Serena's face. Yeah. And, I, yeah, and I just thought that was um, that was a really, it's kind of a throwaway line, but it was sort of like a really interesting one which sort of touches mm. on, well, what does abuse actually look and feel like, you know? And yeah. it's, not, it's not necessarily physical scars. Yeah it, yeah, it absolutely has left a permanent mark. And I think through the, the key scenes with Serena in this episode, the, the examination and the, the conversation with her lawyer trying to convince her to play this kind of victim card and then the conversation with Fred in the chapel where she fails to reunite with him are all these triggers that are allowing her to slowly see that she is a victim of abuse. Mm. I think that's that's what's happening with Serena in this this episode, she doesn't want to be a victim, but she also doesn't think she's a victim, but that slowly changes over the course of the episode. And by the end, I think she has started to realise that she is a victim of, of some serious abuse. Mm. I, I love that scene with Fred. I rewound that <laughs> a couple of times. Yeah. Just, I love the way that flows. Um, he's, he's not gullible to her. <laughs> Her, um, persuasions anymore. <laughs> yeah. And he was trying to make, make it out like it was he was just following his faith, you know, and he had yeah. that line about how religion is just so small here. But she did point out and put it back on him that he liked his power a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. So that sort of feeds into what you were saying, Haiti, about her <clears throat> coming to a realisation, albeit mm. a slow one. <laughs> yeah, and about- she also makes some – she also says something like, you know, I used to think I deserved this. Yeah. And on this, I remember she says to Tawillo before that, she thinks she can convince him um, and she says, I knew him before Gilead. So that's tying, of course, back into this whole, is it the apple, is it the basket? Like can she, is there some innate um, morsel of, of original Fred? Which is interesting because <laughs> that is when she did have a lot more power and yeah. she was very much more an active force. And especially in, I remember, you know, her calling him a wuss or whatever when she had him shoot that student or I can't quite remember the details, but like, you know, she was the aggressor and she was the one prodding him along. So that's really interesting that she's, you know, calling back to to that time. Mm, Yeah, but they are both remarkably changed by the time in Gilead. From that, we go back to Canada and Moira and Emily are working with the children who have been, you know, rehomed back to their original families but are adjusting Pretty terribly, it must be said, because these kids have been yanked from the only families they know, not realising they were originally <laughs> yanked from their original families. It's a mm. callback to the first episode of the previous season, isn't it, when um, June was at the Mackenzie house trying to find Hannah and mm. Mrs Mackenzie yep. said to her that you were just hurting her now, you know, you know that um, Hannah has a home and she, and she, and she has a mother and, and you trying to find her and, and yank her out of that is actually going to harm her. Mm. So here we are again with that exact same theme in the opening episodes of this season and it's playing with that, with that sort of idea again of like where is the trauma coming from, who is actually causing it, what is the right thing to do? which we sadly see with a little kid who is really struggling to cope 
in a non-Gilead world. Um, and I think I think that that was a really nice touch of the show, actually, mm. to um, that even though the kids have been saved, it's complicated. This stuff is complex and it's going to take a while. Also, I can totally see how that little kid, Asha, would not have wanted any of those three crappy processed lunch meals that his mum was aunt, sorry, was trying to make for him when he would be used to, you know, beautiful paddock to plate, sustainable, organic, farm produced, you know, meals cooked by his uh, indentured slave Martha, you know. I completely empathise with Sorry, he just wants a good home cooked meal. You know how it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, he just wants a good home cooked meal. Thank goodness, Rita can provide that at the end yeah. of the episode. And that's the thing. I, you know, maybe there'll be parts of Gilead which will actually stay with these kids forever. You know, maybe their comfort food when they when they're adults will be something that a Martha made for them. You know, um, <laughs> who knows. Uh. It's a good call from Moira to to get Rita on board because you know she's lost too. She she doesn't really know mm. what to do, so it helps her to sort of work through some of her Martha-isms to help help the kids. That's kind of what she's all she's known for years. So if they can help each other through their trauma, why not? Um, lovely revelation. Moira's got a girlfriend. Oh, she's yeah. Yeah. getting some happiness. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So that that was very nice. Um, yeah, they're passionate work. It's yeah, it is on. Um, and she's played by Zoe Ashton, um, a British actress. So hopefully we'll see her a bit more across the season. Um, but of course Moira, being Moira, is tied up in fixing <laughs> all of the events of June's exploits. Um, and I do like that scene with June and um, sorry, with Moira and Emily. They're having a bitch about yeah. June because, like... That it, was so great. It's very good. It needed to be said. Um, yeah, you know, she's a pain in the ass. <laughs> they love it a bit. But, um, yeah, they're always cleaning up her mess. And I do appreciate that Emily kind of... It took a season, but, um, you know, she reflected on the fact that she gave me her baby and stayed behind. Like, who does that? <laughs> so that was a, a nod to everyone who felt the same. It was really nice to see... Emily looking so well adjusted and and so sort of settled as well. Like, I feel like the last time we saw her, I remember her still being really haunted and sort of, you know, fresh in in Toronto, still grappling with, you know, the very recent trauma of what she's been through. And now she seems, you know, a bit lighter, a bit like she's moved on a little bit. And sort of it's a nice contrast to Rita because you're thinking, oh, my God, Rita looks so haunted and she's obviously fresh off the plane. Um, but it makes you hope that, you know, Rita will, will be OK, too, as OK as you can be after Gilead. But things will things won't be so horrible forever for her. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm really interested to um, find out if Rita will be involved in the impending trial of, of Serena and Fred mm. now that she's in Canada. Yes, and the trailer, back to the trailer, you know, we see June testify, looks like, at the end of that. So, you know, that that is hopefully what brings her to Canada and hopefully she can stay there, but who knows. Then the revelation, which uh, <laughs> we can reflect on, Duello tells Serena that she's pregnant. Bum, bum. <laughs> what in the world? And Fiona, Fiona, yes. you completely picked this last season, didn't you? You picked up the symbolism in the in the bedroom. Uh, maybe. Wait, the what? Lamps. I don't remember this. <laughs> when they had that clumsy romp in the single bed on the way to um, meet Tuello. Oh, yeah, my God, like, that's right. I completely oh, that forgot gr- that's that. Right. Because I was going to say, when did her and Fred get it on? I don't remember them, like, you know, being that into each other for ages. (laughs) When did this happen? Yeah, I think we wiped it from our memories for a good (laughs) reason. it's so true. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Mm, So that's a turn up for the books, as they say. Um, You know, I don't love surprise pregnancy twists in shows, but um, also I can't imagine that they've been trying, you know what I mean, (laughs) for a few years. (laughs) She could well have, you know, gotten pregnant a while ago if, if, if if Fred... You know, is fertile. But I thought after Fred, all. yeah, well, exactly. I, you know, I thought the whole problem was Fred was infertile. So what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> and clearly, her, you know, the, she had a shot to the abdomen years previous, and, and clearly that hasn't affected her ability to conceive. So, yes, all a very big surprise. Just as we were, you know, expecting Serena and Fred to split for good and Serena to be done with Fred, yeah. suddenly she realises she's pregnant to him and the first thing I'm thinking is, oh, crap, they're going to, like, get back together again and become the power couple. Oh, They're never going to yeah. be free of each other. This is why they're so delicious. They hate each other but they are tied for life. Forced back together. 100%. They are back on their bullshit. Then. <laughs> I love it. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, mind you, fun fact, if, if Fred is fertile, June dodged a bullet if, um, mm. you know, the, all those ceremonies and whatnot. But, um, yeah, well, look, yeah. are we far enough out from the ceremony with Lawrence to be able to, like, cross that off well, the possibility exactly. list? I don't think so. I think that's still oh. on the possibility list. Oh, oh she so can't get pregnant I hope again. not. I feel like two <laughs> pregnancies is just going to be like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think Serena's the pregnancy this season. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, let's yeah. hope. But fingers oh. crossed. We got that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it's on a Jezebel. Suffragette City starts playing and um, everyone gets pissed on poison. And June <laughs> is in the background putting all the, the potion in the bottles. But then she's on a high getting back to the house. Something's not quite right. The cool guardian gets shot in the temple. Um, Poor cool guardian. I was wondering about him. I was thinking, what's he was his lovely. story? Yeah, but we're never going to find that one out now. Um, <laughs> and laser pointers all over June, but then Nick shows up as we as we spoke of um, to call them Looking off. very good in a coat. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Agreed. <laughs> also saving June from <laughs> assassin's bullets, but yes, um, from the snipers. So that's it then, isn't it? That's, that's how it and ends. So, and what happens with Alma and everyone else? I'm forgetting everyone's name for the moment. Um, are they okay? Are they alive? What What's the deal? Yeah, all the lights mm. are Janine. on. Yep. Yeah, and Mrs. Keys, of course. Um, mm. Yeah, so it's presumably they've found out about what happened to Pogue, or they've realised June's there. Who knows? This, I guess, this is where we start speculating, people, because we haven't watched episode three yet, but we're going to go off and watch it now. Where? What do you think happens next? A part of me is kind of like going to the most dramatic conclusion because. June, as we've seen throughout the seasons, leaves in her wake a pile of dead bodies sort of wherever she goes. You know, the old Jezebels. I remember her, you know, I can't remember the name of um, her previous walking partner. Like there's just a lot of dead people in her wake. So I'm wondering, are Janine and Alma and um, Mrs. Keys, you know, the latest round of people that sort of fall as she makes her way, you know, towards freedom? Like, is that what happens? I hope not. Mm. Well, we um, we know Janine lives. We've seen the trailer. Janine's good. (laughs) For now. That's right. Oh, need to watch the trailer again. <laughs> I'm hopeful that they've gotten out, or at least some of them have gotten out. And those um, dogs were very good at noticing when there were new people coming to the property. So, And if Alma was doing her job, <laughs> then... <laughs> yes. Then I think they would have. I'm, I'm hoping that they probably paid attention to the dogs and they actually they actually got out of there. But what I'm hoping to see in the next episode is, is clearly... You know, June is now captured, so I think there should be some nice behind closed door conversations that are happening. And will she be reunited with Lawrence? Are they all going to be in the same place? It could be an interesting war room strategy kind of episode coming up. Mm. Could be. Um, yeah, the thing is, like, when, when they end on this kind of moment where there's guards or something happens – when we find out the next episode, it, like it typically, it tends not to be the thing we think it is. <laughs> like you yeah. know, remember, yeah. always. <laughs> yeah, I will. Yeah, <laughs> it's not going to be what anything we're saying. But um, I, I think there's a showdown with Lydia coming. I don't know, maybe if they won't do that in episode three. But um, yeah, because we haven't we haven't seen much of her yet. She just had that that one sort mm. of great moment. So yeah. so clearly, we need to get back to Lydia and see what see what's going on in her world. Yeah. So how did they know to come? How did Nick know to go to mm. the house? Maybe it's a Mayday thing. Maybe he's come to get her i don't know there's only one way to find out well we know we know nick's always been connected to mayday so it makes sense that he would have some inside knowledge there and he's putting himself front and center in the search for june so that he can protect her in the process so where he sends her next is going to be very important because uh you know gilead's about to find out that a whole bunch of really important commanders have just been poisoned in the vicinity of the 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 farm where (laughs) june's been found so that's a pretty quick connection to make. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dean's going to need a lot of prote- protecting very soon. <laughs> I think they do a lot of underestimating of women in Gilead. So I wonder. I wonder if they will make the connection and think that maybe that was the handiwork of June, or whether or whether they are still will come up with their own different theory of like how that happened. Mm. Just some bad bottles of booze that. Yeah. <laughs> Like I feel like the um, commanders are as bad at putting things together as we are. <laughs> yeah, we're all hopeless. <laughs> oh, my Lord. One thing that's been on my mind that's not storyline and plot, but more sort of the practicalities of the production is, you know, they did start shooting in March last year, right? Yeah. Which is springtime in Canada, whereas usually they start shooting around autumn in Canada. So the landscape we've seen in these first two episodes is, is springy and is, is moving into summer. There's a lot of greenery. But then when they had to shut down 
production in March. They came back in September, which is, again, autumn. So how is that going to, you know, how did that affect how they scripted, you know, what the plan was? Because if they were planning to shoot from spring to summer in Canada, clearly they had something in mind with sort of the setting of Gilead mm. that year, and, and they've had to change it. So I don't know, my, my head always, as I say, goes to these practical matters of production. So I'm curious to see how they handle yeah. that change in climate sort of. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Mm. And I did notice there was snow in that that shot I loved with her in the openings of one where they were rocketing across the landscape. You know how she was looking through the slit in the yes, it was very the, springtime mm. snow to me, very patchy on yeah. the ground. You can tell it was starting to melt. So yeah, yeah, I think that was a transition because then it was greenery, yes. like you say. Yeah. And then September, you know, you're back into yeah barren landscape pretty much soon. So, so which episodes were affected by COVID and I lockdown? think they only filmed like the first three or so. Like they, it sounded like the first few is what they were were saying. So I'm not entirely sure, but um, yeah, they didn't get very far. Yeah, and that's the other thing. I mean, they've come back to shoot in you know COVID protocols and everything. So. People in the bubble are fine, but we may not see as many guest stars this mm. season because, you know, people used to fly in for a day to shoot in Toronto and go back home. So, you know, I don't know whether we'll see Clea Duval and, all you know, yeah. the other support actors because of the practicalities of having to come and quarantine and, and then shoot. So it could yeah. be more of the core cast and, you know, Canadians. Um, so who knows? We'll see. Mm. I think that there was quite a deliberate shift in seasons in the in the first episode to note the passing of time as June recovered because it was – definitely winter and snowy and miserable when they arrived at the farm. And then when she emerges, you know, they're planting, there's a vegetable garden, it's it's mm-hmm. clearly spring. And perhaps that is actually intentional, Sana, because I feel like this season is is really meant to be about the hope in yeah. the in the rebellion and and the kind of rise of the resistance yeah. and perhaps the reflection of the seasons moving generally from wintry and cold and stark to spring and, and full of growth and hope is, you know, well, this is what is I mean, because deliberate. yes, if that was the deliberate choice, they had to stop within a first few episodes and go back to shooting in autumn mm. slash winter. So what does it mean to the setting where they were trying to evoke this hope and renewal and all the rest? Mm. Yeah. Well, who knows? But let's keep watching. <laughs> um, so as I said, episode three is available to stream at SBS On Demand right now. And we're going away to watch it now and we'll come back with a recap. So there'll be recaps for that immediately. Um, and if you choose to watch on television, episodes three and four will screen on SBS from 8.30pm on Thursday 6th of May. So you'll be all caught up then and we'll have recaps for both of those episodes ready for you as well. So look, thanks for listening. <laughs> it's, it's weird to be back, but it's so good um, and we hope that helped. Uh, so thank you to my co-hosts, Natalie Hambly, Heidi Island and Sana Kadar, and to our producer, Jeremy Wilmot. As I say, it's great to be back and we'd love to know what you think as you watch this new season along with us. You can reach out on Twitter. You can find me at anything but Fifi. Natalie, where can we find you? Are you on Twitter? <laughs> I know, yeah. I'm back. Um, yep, at Natalie Hambly. And I'm really, I'm really curious to see how people respond to June, that sort of June that we saw in that episode one. So I can't wait to find out what um, people think. And we have a hashtag, right? Eyes on, eyes on Gilead. Hashtag. Absolutely. Yeah, use that so that we, come, we can see your tweets. Haiti, you come back to Twitter for these seasons. So, yeah, where can we find you? <laughs> uh, I'm at, at Haiti Island. Excellent. And Sana, you're always there like I am. So where can we find you? <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of a lurker. I, I don't really tweet that much, but yes, I'm there. Um, at Sana underscore Kadar. Excellent. And um, yeah, do use the hashtag so we see your tweets. And since we're back, feel free to leave feedback on whatever app you listen to us on and give us a rating. It helps other people find the show. Now, look, it's some heavy stuff that we talk about that, that's covered in the show. So if any of the content discussed brings up something for you or for someone you know, Just be aware that there is confidential counselling and resources and support available via 1800respect.org.au in Australia. It's a fantastic resource, so do seek it out. So with the weekly drops of The Handmaid's Tale, um, you'll find more coverage of the show at SBS Guide and we'll also have some recommendations for other things to watch as you await the next episode. If you want even more recommendations, uh, you might like my other podcast, The Playlist, uh, which I host with Ben Nguyen and we talk movies and TV shows that are worth your time. Sana, what's your show again and where can we listen? My show is All in the Mind. It's on ABC Radio National. It's all about sort of anything related to the brain. So behaviour, mental health, psychology, all of that. Kind of very fascinating territory. Excellent. Very handmaidsy too territory. <laughs> yes. Um, and Nat and Haiti, have you got things to plug? 
Um, yes, check out the Voices website, sbs.com.au slash voices. And Haiti? Well, I'm always going to plug SBS On Demand, so... <laughs> Do it. <laughs> uh, I, would, I would say, like, if you are enjoying the tragedy of the relationship that is Fred and <laughs> Serena, I'd encourage you to go watch a fantastic series on SBS On Demand called Couples Therapy. There's a new season coming soon, but the, f- the full first season is available to watch. It's fascinating and uh, very juicy. Amazing. Can you imagine the Fred and Serena <laughs> version of that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, make it happen. <laughs> um, that's that's good. Thank you, Haiti. I'm going to go rewatch that. That COVID episode is fantastic as well. Mm. All right. So Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down. You don't own me. I'm not your brother. Return to your good works, Aunt Lydia. Thank you.